0: Yes, you got to love some Rambo First Blood Part 2. Once you listen to my interview today with Master Sergeant Israel Del Toro, you'll understand why I chose that music. Uh, we also could have chosen Commando, I guess, if we wanted to, or Terminator, but because we talk about several different movies back from those days. But anyway, welcome back. Thank you for joining me. I am Thad Forrester. Our guest, uh, Master Sergeant Israel Del Toro, was in Afghanistan in 2005 in the Air Force. He was He's a TAC P, and so he was serving as his team's JTAC, and his vehicle hit a roadside bomb. The effects of that put him in a coma for almost four months. He lost almost all of his fingers. His body was severely burned. Actually, over 80% of his body had third-degree burns. He was given a 15% chance of survival. But... He defied the odds and made a miraculous recovery. During his rehabilitation, he was introduced to adaptive sports as a therapeutic outlet. And it quickly became something he excelled at because he has participated in the Invictus Games multiple years. He's won multiple medals. I know he's won a gold and he's won a silver. I think he's got one in powerlifting. I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Uh, shot put, and I'm not sure what else. But the guy has just really been through the ringer. Uh, after waking up from his coma... Del Toro was given a bleak prognosis and was told he may never walk or breathe on his own again, and that he most definitely would not be able to re-enlist in the military. But, guess what he did? He now uh, is an instructor at the Air Force Academy. He was a father. He talks about his son. His son was three at the time, and how he was his inspiration. How nervous he was to see his son for the first time after the injury, because... He didn't know what his reaction was going to be because, uh, once again, uh, he looked a lot different. Uh, Actually, while Del Toro was in the hospital, he uh, didn't see himself for quite a while. They covered up all the mirrors to kind of slowly, they had to work on his pain and they didn't want him to see himself right off the bat, but he ended up seeing himself by an accident and it really put him down for just a little bit. He wanted them to wonder why they didn't leave him in the field dead. Uh, But The guy is just a rock star. He's a a mentor to many people. He received the Pat Tillman Award for Service in 2017 at the SP Awards. So you can watch his acceptance speech there. It's very, very good. So let's get in with Mr. DT. DT, thanks for joining me today. Uh, I want to ask you, first of all, before you were wounded, what was your plan for life?
1: Well, you know, it's crazy. You know, when I first joined, you know, I was thinking, you know, I'm only going to do four years and I'll be out. And stuff like that but as you know and it happens to a lot of us you know once we joined we gave a career for that we truly enjoyed and we enjoyed you know doing my job as a tactical control party uh, member and and i thought i was like well i'm going to stay in you know for 20 years and continue doing this job and that was my goal <laughs> of course everything changes yeah
0: yeah you certainly did uh, and, and we'll get into that for sure. You, I, I'd like to talk uh, first of all, or go backwards, because I've read a little bit about your your childhood and growing up. I mean, what what was it like? Because I think you were were you raised by your grandmother, or you had some um, heavy weight on your shoulders as a young boy?
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, you know, at a young age, you know, I, I lost my dad at the age twelve, and then a year and a half later, I lose my mom. So, me and my brothers sisters end up being raised by my grandparents. And me being the oldest, you know, that was a little tough, you know, having to be the one to try and hold the family together. Cause you know, one thing I'll never forget is, you know, the day, the day before my dad passed away, you know, I was the last one to talk to him and he told me something at the time was weird. Yeah, I didn't understand why he said it to me. You know, he says, you know, promise me that you'll always take care of your family. And my friend's like, and I'm like, yeah, dad. You know, I don't know if he knew that he was going to pass away or something. But you know, I've been using those words to try. I've been living up to those words ever since. How did you? do was a kid. Uh, my dad had a heart attack, and then uh, my mom was killed by a drunk driver. Oh okay.
0: god. Okay. Okay. So did you did you feel the weight kind of immediately? Maybe after he died, that hey, I need to be the man of the house now and, and take out take care of my siblings? Or how did they did did you slowly start feeling that? Uh,
1: I want to say more after my mom passed away you know that's when I really felt it but luckily you know I had things to help me cope with, with everything that was going on you know I was into sports so sports helped me a lot playing baseball playing football you know that helped me I guess manage between feeling that weight of okay now I'm the oldest I gotta be there for my brothers and sisters because even though yeah, grandparents were taking care of us, you know, they were that's two generations behind us. So my you know, they're very old fashioned, so I was was always like the mediator for when my sisters wanted to do something, my brother wanted to do something. So but you know, luckily I I did have uh, sports that kept me sane.
0: Mhm. Well, did that seems like that would make the decision to join the military so much harder because of the responsibility you had? Was it was it a tougher decision, or did you just know it was the right thing to do? You
1: no, know, it was uh, it, it was crazy because people always they you know, they hear me like, "Man, did you come from a big old military background, I am like, no, the first to join." You know, if you met me in my high school college years, you know, I never would have thought of joining the military. But you know, once my brother and sisters are old enough. You know, I was working out of, you know, I was done with college, and I was thinking, well, I saw a commercial, I was like, why not? Let's try a new adventure, you know. My brother and sisters are already old enough to take care of each other. Now they do something for me. And so, off a of whim, I was like, you know, let's go check out a recruiter and hear what they got to say. By the way, how
0: old, or how many siblings, is it just a brother and a sister?
1: It's uh, two sisters and a brother. So it's me, my sister, then my brother, and then my sister. Okay. And we're all each, like, two years apart. Okay. So you
0: you decide on the Air Force. What was it about TAC-P that made you want to join that? Because that's a, you know, you are, by the way, you're the second TAC-P I've had on here. And, you know, not many people obviously know what they are, what they do, because my brother was a controller and nobody knows them either. So what was it about that?
1: (laughs) My is like originally I was gonna to join to be a, a PJ, you know, a paratrooper, and I remember being there in basic, and then the tech D recruiter come in and starts talking about the job, and I was like, man, that sounds cool. I was like, yeah, I want to do all the stuff that he talked about, you know, calling and the air you know, jumping out of planes. Yeah, you know, he just made it sound very exciting. He made it sound like you were it was almost like being rambo and that was kind of one of the reasons i I did want to join the military because you know no one had ever joined i wanted to do something challenging you know you know pj would have been challenging uh but i always remember my dad and my grandpa always watching like rambo or world war ii movies and i was like man i want to be the i guess that image you know, I guess that's at least in my mind. That's what it felt like that I was going to be in that image of Rambo. And so, I, I, I before I graduated basic, I went, I became, or, you know, I went through the to the, tech, to the tech piece schoolhouse, and from then on, you know, never regretted my choice.
0: <laughs> yeah, Rambo. That was that was a big movie in my house. You know, growing up, we weren't allowed. <laughs> we couldn't watch rated R movies, but we could watch Rambo. Basically anything with Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger we could watch. So yeah, We we, we definitely loved Rambo. And my wife just thinks it's the corniest shit movies now, but
1: uh, yeah, I still watch them when they're on. Oh, yeah. You know, as, as a little kid, I, you know, thinking growing up, you know, that was, that was huge as a boy. You know, they had all these, like, action movie stars. You know, like you said, Schwarzenegger and, and Sylvester Stallone as Rambo or... But Arnold Schwarzenegger as, as Commando. Remember Commando? Oh yeah, oh yeah.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. So that's what every boy. Wants like, yeah, I want to be that dude. I want to be just like that, and I want to be swole like him too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yep, yep. Trying to find that knife
0: that Rambo had that that hmm. kind of reflected there on the edges. That was they. They had some. I, yeah. I got a
1: cheap one, but you know, it would uh, cut The, the big bow. The big old Bowie knife.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, so fast forward, I want to, uh, I'm, you know, so now I, we're not going to talk about your injury in detail because it's documented so much. I wanted to talk about some other things, but, um, yeah. of course, if you want to get into it, feel free to. But now you, you, you had your injury, you're, and now, okay, well, let me ask you this. You were in Afghanistan, is that right? Yeah,
1: I was in Afghanistan. Okay, right? and were you,
0: were you the JTAC for your team?
1: I was okay it mean, was a jtech
0: all right so your vehicle hits a roadside bomb just correct me if I'm wrong and you're actually you're in a coma for three months I mean you're severely burned like 80 percent of your body like yep. a third degree burn or something
1: yeah uh know, yeah, I was in a coma for four months four months uh and yeah, yeah and uh you know 80 percent of my body had therapy burns and you know Also, given only a 15% chance to survive. Uh, so, you know, it was a tough road, you know. You know, getting through that, surviving, and then going through that recovery, you know. It it was tough because going through some of that recovery is probably the most intense pain that a human could possibly go through. Because, you know, when you're severely burned, you gotta be stretched, your skin becomes hypersensitive, so you gotta desensitize your skin. You know, you have all these surgeries and, you know, you got to learn how to walk again because at the time, you know, after I woke up from my coma, you know, they gave me, you know, they told me I almost died three times, you know, still be at a hospital for another year and a half, you know, I'll be on respirator for the rest of my life and I'm probably not going to walk again and my military crew is pretty much over, you know, and, of course, two months after that, I, I proved them all wrong because <laughs> yeah. I left that hospital walking and breathing on my own. That's life. awesome.
0: Did did you have to? Um, I I heard a guy speak one time who was severely burned. He talk about like it's like an acid bath or something. He had to have every day. Is that what it is? Something like that? Uh, and it's just
1: in, in, just terribly painful. Well, I, I do know you know uh, when you're severely burned, they pretty much skin your life because what's going to kill you is the infection. So they gotta get rid of all that burnt skin. So they scrub you. It's like a scrub, you know, thank God I don't remember any of that because I I guarantee that that would have been pure hell. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, once I woke up, you know, it was just like a normal, since I couldn't move all my muscles atropine. you know, the nurses would have to, you know, bathe me, you know, they'll carry you out, put you like on the slab. And then, you know, wash your body for you. But for me, at least, I don't remember any acid bad. I, like, I just remember being told that they, they say, just remove all the burnt skin off your body. And they had to do that regularly, correct? Yeah, they they, they did it all during, like, the first month, I was told, at least from my wife, that. Because, of course, they can't take off the skin in one day. You know, they they go through... Several days removing the skin off your body.
0: Will you talk about the first time that you saw your face? Because uh, I think I read where they had a towel over the mirror in the bathroom, and so you didn't see see yourself for a while after you became conscious. Uh,
1: no, it didn't. You know, uh, they they cover all the mirrors when you're severely burned because they want to ease you into your transition of what you look like now. You know, in my head, I always thought. Okay, probably don't look the same, you know. Eyebrows are probably gone, you know. But I think I kind of still look what I used to look like. So, and I always call this my, my darkest hour because you know, never throughout my recovery, that I wished I died or anything like that until this this moment of my recovery. You know, I was I was learning how to walk again, and I had to go to the restrooms but I still couldn't walk that well. So my wife and my uh, therapist who I call like my guardian angel, man, this dude was six, six, tall, big, bald, white dude. But, but you know, they were helping me to the restaurant. And I remember I, I slipped and I was about to fall and they grabbed me and I'm not sure if it was my therapist, or my wife that stuck their hand out and, and, and accidentally pulled down the towel the off the mirror, but I saw my face and, you know, when I saw my face, I, I, I broke down, I lost it. And I, and I told my wife, like, why'd you let them save me? I should have died down the range. I should have died out there. And it wasn't a vanity thing, you know, that wasn't my thing why I wanted to die. You know, I was at the time 30 years old you know, I thought I was a monster. My thing is like, what's my my son at the time, three years old, is going to think? Cause no father wants, his, no parent wants this child to be a, afraid of him. You know, especially especially me. You know, for me growing up, my dad was everything to me. He was my world. So the thought of my son being afraid of me not being want to be around me crushed me. And for like forty five minutes, i so I was just sitting there on the floor crying. It's like, I should have died, I should have died. And you know, my wife's like, turns like, no, don't be saying that. You know, you gotta, your son, you know, someone just wants his dad. And you know, your son doesn't care. And you know, my therapist's like, do you don't realize how many people you inspire? You know, not only from other patients there at the ICU, but not only staff members. You can't let this be like, no, I should have died. And then, yeah, you know, I remember Gary Tullo was like DT, trust me, man. All your son wants is his dad back. That's all he wants. And it took, you know, after that, maybe another five or 10 minutes to kind of calm me down. And I was like, all right. And to push all that fear to the back of my head and to continue pushing uh forward in my recovery but yeah that, you know that that first time it's off I was like I, I lost you know I, mm-hmm. I let it beat me for that moment
0: well describe what it was like seeing your son for the first time
1: uh, well, it was it, it was crazy because you know again yeah, my son was three years old so he didn't he wasn't allowed inside the hospital and i hadn't seen him since the year prior uh, in August of 05, uh, first birthday. You know, I saw first birthday and then I headed down range. Oh, and so it so 10 I'm, years. It was, it was almost going to be a year. Okay. Okay. So after I finally got out of the hospital, you know, I went through about June, you know, end of May, early June. And I, you know, I come walking into the, into the house and then, Keep in mind, I'm completely wrapped up. You know, I have to have bandages all throughout my body, so I kind of look like a freaking mummy. And I remember some of my teammates being there, uh, my brothers and sisters, you know, my wife, some of my family members. And I remember uh, my wife, you know, yelling out to my son, I was like, hey, dad's home. And he comes running, and and I hear his little feet, you know, plopping out against, on the on the floor, you know, he smells like a little penguin, you know, <laughs> running over and and I'm in the living room and he sees me and stops. And all of a sudden, all that fear that I pushed in the back of my head about him being afraid of me comes rushing back. And, and I'm thinking, I was like, Oh my God, he's scared me. He's terrified of me. You know, he just stopped. But then, you know, as I'm thinking that, he just tilts his head to the side and, and he says, and, you know, papi, you know, meaning dad in Spanish. I was like, yeah, buddy. And he just comes up and gives me the most amazing hug I've ever had in my life. Probably, the best, besides watching him being born, probably the best moment in my life. You know, and, you know, of course, my wife's like, don't hurt your dad, don't hurt your dad. And I'm like... <laughs> Shut up, woman! Let me hold my son. You know, <laughs> it's been almost a year since I've seen him.
0: Was it hurt while he was holding
1: you, hugging you? Not at, not at all. I didn't feel any pain. You know, but again, you know, my, my, you know, my therapist Gary was right, man. All he wanted was his dad, man. That's all he wanted back was his dad. Because sometimes, you know, we don't give kids enough credit. And we think they can't handle things, but sometimes they strong, They're stronger than we think. Because yeah. you know, again, my my son didn't care what I look like. You know, he just wanted his, his dad home. Yeah.
0: you've said that your son inspired you to persevere in your darkest hour, and and you and said that he's your fire. I mean, and how does how does he
1: inspire you? We well, don't, you know, you know, everyone has to find going through anything what drives them because I I always say our mind is a very powerful thing in in our head if we quit before we try you know we're done so you got to find that fire that strength you know that lights you up that keeps you going and for me it was my son you know I always you know after all that diagnosis they gave me about you know what was gonna happen to me or what I could I could not do I never wanted to be that guy that sat around the house, hating life and ask, asking myself, why did this happen to me? And, and you know, no one would have doubted me if I did, you know, I, I had a challenging life, you know, I, I had lost my parents at a young age, you know, in college, my my grandma gets diagnosed with cancer, You know, then the first year in, the military my grandma died of cancer and then you know this happened to me of course you know people wouldn't have doubted me you know according to the stats you know growing up in the south side of Chicago I should have been either a gangbanger or or, uh, or a drug dealer uh, but I've never wanted to be that again I, I never wanted to be that guy to just hate life because of what happened to me for me I, I always Told, told myself like first of all that's not me teaching any, my son anything if I'm doing that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and second of all I'm not living up to that promise I made my dad to always take care of your family and, and for me that phrase doesn't really just pertain to your immediate family your wife, your son, your brothers, sisters but I also see it as Anybody, you know, your teammates, your military family, you know, strangers out there that need help. So, you know, I took that at heart. And again, you know, I wanted to show my son, whatever obstacles in front of you, as long as you don't quit and you stay positive, you will overcome anything. And so he, he, was, he was my strength. And again, I, w- I wanted to—I re- wanted to see my son. You know, I really wanted to see him because it was tough being there in April when it was of my birthday, and not even being able to see my son on my birthday. Mm-hmm. And So he was my entire inspiration. Besides my dad's words, I was like, "I'm going to get through this. I'm going to show my son I can beat this. I'm going to show him that dad's not quitting. You know, dad's not going to." hate life he's not going to sit there and ask why did this happen to me he's like okay yeah i had a I had a bad day at work but I'm, I'm still here i'm still gonna see you grow up i'm gonna see you play baseball you know i'm gonna see you freaking you know finally have a girlfriend you know date watch you grow up you know dad's not gonna miss any of that you know like my dad did you know and your son's a teenager so,
0: now i guess right is he around 15 or something <laughs>
1: Yeah, brother, he's he's gonna turn sixteen in in August, which is crazy to me. I was like, "Holy crap, he's not a he's not a kid anymore." You know, Dang. he's not that three year old little kid that came running out the first time. Now he's a, almost my height, you know, hanging out with friends, learning how to drive. So it, it, it's a crazy journey. <laughs> <laughs> what was
0: going on with your family those those four months while you were in a coma? It had
1: to be tough on them. Well, it, it was tough. You know, those first four months, you know, especially for my wife. You know, my wife, you know, was from Mexico. She didn't speak very, very much English, if any. And I remember when she got called, because she had, at the time, we were stationed up in Italy, and she had gone back to Mexico to be there with her family since all the other wives were heading back to the States, she want to stay up there by herself. And while she was there, she had, uh, her uh, residency card had gotten lost without the mail. Cause we had within, I want to say a year and a half, had moved from North Carolina to Korea, to Korea to Italy and her, you know, from there after North Carolina moved to Colorado, to Chicago, then, you know, then Italy. So her residency card had got lost. So when she had the call, you know, her visa had expired. So, and I remember her telling me the story that my teammates were like, Hey, we got you. We'll, we'll call the embassy. We'll let them know what's going on. And she's like, no, no, I got this. You know, I'll, I'll call this, you know? And when she called, you know, she had told her everything, what happened, who who I was, who she was, what I was going to be. because. You know, they called her on December 5th, which happened to be on her her birthday. Mm. And they they had told her that, hey, they're gonna, DT's gonna be in the hospital. They're gonna bring them there, Brook Army Medical Center, in San Antonio, the morning of December 7th. So she tells this to the person on the other line at the embassy, had, and I kind of wish she grabbed the person's name, but the response she got was, not a response you expect to hear. And what the person told her is like, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do for you here. You can take your, your your son. Go to the border and try and cross it and see what happens.
0: Oh God! You know,
1: and, you know what she's supposed to think. You know, her her husband's dying, and now you had uh, the the consular slash embassy tell her that there's nothing to do for her. So, you know, she was distraught. So she waited till my teammates called back. She tells them that. Like I said, I got there December seventh in the morning. My wife was by my side. December seventh in the afternoon. Dang. So you know, you know, sometimes people always like like to focus uh, on the wounded service member or or about our recovery. But sometimes I forget the families are the ones that see the worst of you because you know, maybe four months of the coma, you don't remember anything. Mm -hmm. You wake up afterwards or anybody, if they're in the hospital and they're inducing coma or go to their recovery, Mm -hmm. they don't remember most of the stuff. But the families are there being told, hey, come run over here because your loved one's about to die. So they see you're worse. So it it was tough for her and not being able to speak the language. You know, luckily, you know, I had good teammates. Uh, Randolph Air Force Base really rallied around her. You know, my family liaison officer, which was an awesome dude. You know, a combat controller, Chief Humphreys, great freaking dude. You know, he saw the need. You know what? She doesn't speak very good names. I'm gonna find her uh, interpreter. She at the time. You know, now he's retired. You know, both of these guys are all retired. You know, Chief Gonzalez. And he translates, and he's always there with her. Because when I first got hurt, you know, all these programs for the Air Force did not exist. Just, uh, uh, was it the Air Force Wounded Warrior Program, or uh, case managers, there was none of that when I got hurt. Because most of us, most of our guys never, never survived and we got hurt as badly mm-hmm. as I did. Mm-hmm. You know, usually a lot of the policies were built for Vietnam for Potisic went down, you know, but they never had ground guys, uh, you know, survive. Uh, So it was all new, but she, again, she was never left alone, but there was, there was always, there's always going to be drama with stuff like that. You know, and the way I found about the drama that happened with my family is now I was going through therapy and I was coming out, and I saw family members arguing. I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? It's like, oh, you know, it's, you know, the family fighting over what's going to happen with the uh, service member. And I'm thinking myself, my God, I'm glad that didn't happen to my family. And the nurse that was helping me, she's like, oh, that happened to your family. And I'm like, what? So, of course, you know, I, when I get home, you know, I you know, I ask my wife, what what happened? And she wanted want to tell me. <laughs> yeah, but you know, cause he, most people know you want, once you're married, the person that's in charge of what's going to happen to you is your, is your spouse, your husband and your wife. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, your mom's there, your sisters, your brothers, aunts. The person in charge is that that wife or husband. You know, my wife starts telling me, like yeah, you know, uh, you're." Sisters and one of your aunts really attacked me a lot because they said, "I don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know anything. You know, you can't even speak English." And only your your brother and one other aunt really stuck up for me. And you know, I I got I was I was very upset. Right. You know, I, you know, I, after my wife told me that, I call my sisters. I call my aunt. And I told him, I was like, you know, I love you guys, but this is my family now. My wife, and my son is my family. I was like, you have to respect, me. I better never hear that ever happen again. And it's like, you guys should be happy that she stayed by my side. Cause I'm, she, you, you guys and her saw so many guys, girlfriends, fiancés, wives take off on them and leave them or waited till they got their uh sgli money and grab it and take off she did it she was always on my side and so you know i had to check my family to let them realize I might have to respect my wife and my son uh but yeah that was that was tough you know because one never wants to think that their family's going to pick her like that you always figure everyone's thinking in their head. Your family's gonna be united. You're gonna be a bond. You're gonna they're gonna have each other's back. Uh, but, it, but, like the nurses and the doctors, it always happens.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: it, what it, it is your happens. what is your relationship with
0: Carmen like now? And and was there ever? I mean, by the way, I mean that's incredible. Yeah, she has been so loyal to you and stayed by your side. I mean, were things ever bad enough? were y'all you know, was it divorce ever an option? Like did it get bad or was she
1: was it always just a get stronger and stronger relationship? No. I where I think the issues that me and Carmen had was I was always very independent. So when I finally got to the hospital and she had to do everything for me, that was tough for me. That you know, she always wanted to help me. He's like, no, no, I got to do this. Let me do this. I have to learn how to do this, or I'm never going to be able to do things on my own. I'm always going to rely on you or my son. Uh, so, hell, that was our our biggest issue. That she always wanted to do things for me, and I was like, no, no, let me learn how to do this on my own. You know. And then <laughs> I remember one of my teammates telling me, he's like." Hey, let me give you some advice about being married. I was like, what? Technically, you should only be married from 5 o'clock in the afternoon until 5 in the in the morning. I'm like, what? I like, yeah, dude, because if you're with each other nonstop, you're going to end up killing each other. So you got to have your space. And I was like, why would he say that? Then when I was going through my recovery when I was out of the hospital and I wasn't working still, you know, there were signs like, dude, I gotta get out of this house or me and my wife are gonna end up killing each other. (laughs) You know? And that's, I guess, sometimes, you know, when I think of, God, once I finally retire out of the military, I have to find a part-time job and um, we're gonna end up, you know, being like the War of Roses, that old movie. (laughs) You uh, But no, you know, besides little things like that, you know, we all, all families have their little arguments, stuff like that, but You know, I would like to say she's a much better wife than I am a husband. She's much more patient than I am, you know. A lot of times, you know, I I lose it because for stupid reasons. And, you know, I don't know if that's because of my injury, but, you know, she's patient. She's been there, you know. She gives me my space after, you know, I I get upset, but she's still here on my side. (laughs) You know, I was sometimes tease there. I was like, "It's like, will you ever divorce me?" She's like, "No." I was like, "Why not?" Because that's going to be a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of being divorced." I'm like, Man, that's that's like that's cold blooded. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, bless her. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, DT, and
0: yeah. uh, you got the you were the recipient of the Pat Tillman Award for service in 2017, and how did that come about? Are you nominated or how did they find out about you
1: um, honestly brother I, I, I really don't know you know I remember being at work you know and being you know there at uh uh ninety eight uh, wing the blue Parachute team uh and you know we're getting ready for a job you know i, I remember being the kind, Guy in charge of making make sure you know the the load slips were correct, so correct jumpers and all that. And I get a phone call. I was like, and it's the PA people uh, there at the Air Force Academy. I was like, hey, Senator Toro, we just want you to know that ESPN would like to invite you to the ESPYS. I was like, and they said, people, do you think you'd be able to make it? It's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And they hang up. It's like, well, we we'll relate this to the uh, ESPN. And I hang up and I told, dude, it's like, I just got invited to this, It's so awesome. You know, that's probably the only award show I ever watched. <laughs> you know, I just don't <laughs> care about any of the other ones. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they call back like 20 minutes later, it's like, hey, Sanu Toro, uh, you do know you're being nominated uh, for the Pat Tillman Award, the ESPY. That's why they want you to go to, uh, to the ESPY. I'm like, what? He didn't know that. It's like, I had no fucking idea. So they hang up again, and I'm like, now I'm even more excited. Because, you know, it's like, yeah, the the people from the Pat Tillman Foundation and ESPN is going to call you later this afternoon have to tell you, talk to you about that. I'm like, all right. So, you know, I'm excited. I, I, I tell everyone, well. I'm like, dude, I got you know, they are nominated me. And... And I get to home that afternoon and I get a phone call from ESPN and the Pat Tillman Foundation. And they tell me, hey, Senator Toro, we've heard of you. You know, you've been nominated to receive, or you're, you're one of the finalists to receive the Pat Tillman uh, Award for service. And I'm like, whoa. And they're like, we really hope you win it. You know, we really want you to win it. Yeah, we, we figured an excellent example of what Pat uh, uh, stood for. And I'm like, well, thank you. That, you know, I just, sound, you know, I'm honored that you guys are not, you know, I, was, I won the finalists, you know, I knew who Pat Tillman was. I, I followed him, you know, because nowadays a lot of athletes aren't like the athletes of vote that would quit their careers and, and, Joined the military like Pat Tillman did. You know, during World War you how many Hall of Famers do you know that? Like Joe DiMaggio, you know, Ted Williams, all these greats that gave up a mm-hmm. couple of years of their career to, you know, serve their country. So for me being nominated by him, you know, it was an honor. It really, truly was. And then it's like, yeah, we'll let you know, you know, probably another week or two, I'll let you know if you're going to be a don't, if we are going to win it. And I'm like, cool. And this was like maybe two days before I had was leaving to go to the the Warrior Games up in Chicago, my hometown. And while, while I'm there, you know, I get a phone call. I was like, Saddle Toro, I was like, yes, sir. I was like, you have won the ESPN Pat Tillman Award for Service. And I'm like, holy crap. And they're telling me, you're going to be, we're going to take it, you know, coming to the ESPYs, you're going to be doing the red carpet, you're going to be doing all this. And I'm like, whoa. And of course, you know, I, I wanted to keep it quiet. You know, I didn't want, you know, if they're concentrating on the war games, I didn't want it to start focusing on me. But they did a big old press release and of course, they're, at the opening ceremonies, they're like, yeah, you know, we just want to congratulate Shandell Toro that he is the winner of the Pat Tillman Award. He's going to be at the SVs And I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, great. And it was like the secret tell, <laughs> <laughs> But it was going there. It was such an amazing experience. You know, and of course I tell you, you know, we want you to speak at, uh, at the SUVs and I'm thinking, holy crap, what I'm going to say. Because, you know, I've done speeches, but I've never done an mm-hmm. accepted speech. That's completely different.
0: Is it? Are, those, are they live?
1: Yeah, it's live.
0: Okay, wow. That's a lot of pressure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they give me a – when I get there, when I finally get there to L.A., and I want to say it's the day before. You know, they have give me a speechwriter, and they're saying, all right. And the speechwriter did a great job. You know, I, I read what he wrote. But I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, you know, this doesn't sound like me. It's not something I will say. And I really wanted to focus on my acceptance speech. I'm thanking all the people that were there for me that helped me get to where I was at. Because they're, they're really the unsung heroes. You know, because you can't do it by yourself. You're always going to have help. And so I this opportunity, this major opportunity on live TV and, televised nationwide, worldwide, I wanted to give thanks to these guys and gals. And you know, I, I tell the speech writer, oh, I want to do this, this, and he, he tells afterwards, he's like, I just want to let you know, this is the fastest rewrite of a speech I've ever done. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, we I practiced it twice on stage and the third time was live. And it was, it was, it was crazy going through all that. And you know, it was getting up there, saying, uh, me, doing my acceptance speech, coming out. You know, doing more interviews than. Then. For me, the most memorable part, memorable part, was after you know I did my speech and going backstage, doing some more interviews, then going to this other room to try and get some water because I was thirsty at the time. I just hear someone yelling, DT, Senator Toro, DT. And I'm like, who's yelling my name? And I look back and this tall black lady. And I mean, she towers me probably by a whole foot. I'm like, oh, hi ma'am, how you doing? I was like, I just want to tell you, oh my God, that was such amazing. I I loved it. Best speech I've ever heard uh, at ESPN. And I'm thinking of, that was the best Like For me, Great ones are like Jimmy V or Stuart Scott. Yeah, You know, those speeches. I'm thinking, man, those were amazing speeches. How could my speech compare? And she's like, oh my God, I forgot to even introduce myself. Um, Kevin Durant's mom. I was like, I just love it. Can (laughs) I ask a favor? She's like, yeah, ma'am. Can I just give you a hug? And I'm like, yes. And she just gave me a big old hug. and, And that was so cool. And then other athletes just talked to me and you know, talking to me like I was just like one of them, and exchanging numbers and and them being so cool. I mean, you know, say one of them that I really stay in contact with is who was a great dude is Chris Long of the Eagles. You know, he's always texting, "How you doing, DT?" You know, you know he had to come out speak to the to the team uh like the second game into the season. You know, and but it was just an amazing experience, and, and the cool thing about it, because originally they were only going to give me uh, one ticket, you know, to bring my wife. But I had asked them, "Hey, can I can I get another one, or, or at least two more?" Because I wanted to bring my son. I told him he was a big part of this. I was like, I don't want to leave him out of this so being able to be there with him my wife you know it was it was an amazing experience because he got to experience something like that even though he's sometimes now kind of uh immune to that or just doesn't act like that do i really got to go to some to some of your events (laughs) you know because he's just like oh these, these guys are just like my dad's friends you know but to be there with him was was awesome. You know that that made the whole night. You know, him being able to be there uh, to see me receive that award because he was a big part of, of mm-hmm. my recovery.
0: Yeah, and they they showed you know your wife and he when you got the award, and I saw you know, there's pictures you know from the, on the red carpet, and, and you really you gave a a really powerful
1: speech. Well done on that. Uh, I, like you said, a bad I day at work. <laughs> hey, everyone remembers that a lot. They're like, dude, that was probably the coolest last last line of any speech we've ever heard. It's like, <laughs> did you think of that? It's like I was like Yeah. It's like, how long did you work on that? And I was like, Honestly, brothers, I'll tell you this. But not until that the day prior that I when I rewrote rewrote that speech is when I finally thought of what I was gonna say. <laughs> because all throughout, I just had no idea what I gonna say I am going to say, pacing back and forth it was it just it really came to me cause I've always said it's like you know, oh no one's special, all I did was you know what any of other service would do for their teammates and, and yeah it 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 wasn't that bad day at work, you know, not like most people would think, but for us, it was a bad day at work, yeah, yeah right. Uh, I think I saw a
0: picture of you with another a, a guest that I ha- we had on Patriot to the Core a couple months ago, um, Noah Galloway. Were you at any event or uh, yeah. some events with him? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Noah. Noah and I live in the same town, and we actually did a, an in-person interview back in uh, like September. So that that was a good time. What What about? I've got a question from a friend of mine who is a shot putter. Um, because uh-huh. I know you won a gold medal. You've won some medals in the Invictus Games, you know, a few different years, uh-huh. but you won uh, the gold in shot put in 2016.
1: Yeah.
0: My buddy Steve asked, do
1: you spin or glide? I'm a glider. Okay. You know, it's uh, it, I've tried to spin, not going to lie, but you kind of need some sort of fingers <laughs> to kind of hold that, Ball, the shot put in place as you spin or, or it flies away. I don't know if I'm spinning too quickly and it just launches the shot put in a different direction. But yeah, I'm I'm a more of a glide guy. Okay,
0: and I know we're we're about out of time. I just wanted to, if I could, just ask a few more questions. Yeah, you got a few minutes. Um, you're I know you're a mentor and a role model to many to many people. But besides your son, you know, who and what inspires you?
1: You know, I, I really do find inspiration through a, a lot of things. You know, not only from, you know, getting advice from mentors of my own, but I always attribute a lot of it, you know, to my dad and my son. But I think back of when I was a kid and and I, I'm into, I was well, I'm still into comic books. I shouldn't say I'm, I was into comic books. I'm still into comic books. But reading those old comics about, you know, the superheroes, what kid did not want to be a Batman or, or a Superman or Spider-Man or any of these, you know, comic book heroes? Because at the time, you know, a lot of them had these values, just having this honor, you know, stand up for good, you know, never quitting, or e- even cartoons. You know, I remember, you know, G.I. Joe, you know, you know, they always had, afterwards, they had little things that would say, hey, you know, drugs aren't good or, you know, be there for your friends. But, you know, I, I get stuff, you know, I get motivated to do stuff like that. I get inspired to do stuff like that. Or also through, also I'm not going to lie, watching other athletes or disabled, uh, not only veterans, but uh, civilians. Because I remember going to my first, one of my first major competitions in track and field after I got hurt being nervous and then seeing some of these disabled athletes do the things they did. Like for me, what, what really blew my, blew my mind was the blind guys doing long jump. I was like, Holy cow. These guys are really relied not only on someone else to direct them and going off the sound of the person clapping and them stopping clapping and then launching themselves into darkness and hoping landing on the sand. For me, that was like, holy cow, dude, this is awesome. Or seeing, like, little kids, you know, with missing legs, doing, you know, I think they do, like, a 60-meter dash, watching that. You know, stuff like that inspires me. Or or even other service numbers where it's their first time ever going out and doing something like that. And seeing how they're nervous at first. And then afterwards, seeing the joy that they got from doing that event. All that is fine. You know, I know people like to see me as, like, I'm, I'm very inspirational, I'm motivational. And honestly, sometimes you d- I don't see myself like that. I see myself as a normal dude. You know, I don't, I don't see people see me in that light. Until when I hear people how I helped change their life. And I'm like, holy cow, they really see me in this light. And they always ask me, how do you? how do you get inspired? I'm like, every day there's something inspiring out there. You know, living life is, is an inspiration, you know. But, you know, I, I, I get through all, from complex to my dad, to my son, to other disabled service members, and through other speeches that I've, I've heard throughout my life. Like I said, like the Jimmy V, the Stuart Scott, you know, all these, you know, from Kennedy to Churchill, you know, all these great great people that had these inspirational things you know i and you know, I've always to even watching an old Rambo you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, I can definitely
0: quote some Rambo now for you, yeah yeah <laughs> you know, uh, do you
1: have have the, you
0: been have you been asked to do a ted speak ted talk you know, I've never
1: done a ted talk you need to. <laughs> Yeah, I've always heard about it, I was like, hey, I've never done the TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about, yeah. uh,
0: did you see the the snapper for, I think it was USC, this past college season? They was blind, and he actually went into the game and snapped for a field goal or an extra point?
1: I did not see that.
0: See, that was awesome, and that was moving. I'm pretty sure it was USC, and I'm pretty sure it was an extra point, and I think they were up pretty good. and Yeah, he went in, and it was a successful snap, hold, and kick.
1: Uh, well, you know, like I said, there's so much inspiration out there that anyone can find. And like you said, why's a blind long snapper for a college team go out there and do that. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. The, hu- the human spirit is such a strong, motivating thing, you know. And sometimes, you know, we do lose that, the sight of that, you know, because all the crap that's going on around the world, but... You'll have that moment around the world where you'll see something like that, and you're like, wow, that's so awesome.
0: Yeah. And uh, one last question, DT. Uh, back in September, yeah. you tweeted that you were going under the knife for the 120 something time you know, <laughs> within like three years. I, what is your take on death and surgeries, especially since you've come so
1: close to death so many times? You know, for me, you know, if it's going to be my time, it's going to be my time. I always saw that, I, you know, like I said, from a young age, I learned to overcome things, adversity, you know. So I knew life is short, so I enjoy it every day. So anytime I go on the night, not going to lie, I have the doctor play my favorite song of all time. It's uh, the Led Zeppelin song, Say to Heaven. Mm. I was like, just in case I'm not going to the place I want to go and I'm going the other way. Yeah, at least I'm going to hear that song before, you know, it'll be the last thing I hear.
0: Well, it's about, like, nine minutes long, isn't it? So you got to wait a while before the surgery.
1: <laughs> well, is you know, is, it, is have, it
0: long? It seems like it's one of the long uh,
1: it, It's not too long. It's not like uh, Freebird that's, you know, legit okay, seven okay. minutes long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, as they're prepping you, you know, they're in the operating room. They have it playing for me, and then... You know, right when they're about to go into the 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 main guitar, you know that's when, you know they uh, they start putting the gas on me, and you know that's the last thing I hear. But I every every surgery I have, that done to me, you know. But yeah, it's it is because it, it is every time you go in there, knife, it your you're challenging death because you never know if you're going to come back from that. Yeah, you know how many. So I, I just assume you know, anytime I go on there, you know, I ask for that, tell my family I love them, and get ready for it. Just like, you know, I'll say a prayer, just like I did every time I jumped out of a plane. I'm like, you know what, Dad, protect me. Let, let the shoot open. I'm going to go. <laughs> well, you have overcome
0: incredible odds and you continue to push through challenges and inspire many, 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 many people. And so thanks for being on here. I mean, what what would you like to say in closing? And you, you went back in, to active duty, which is a huge feat. I mean, you're still working today. Uh, so what would you like to say in closing?
1: I would just say, you know, we're, we're, people, people always like to say, it's like how can you do what you did? I can never do it. It's like, you don't know that. I didn't think that I ever thought I was going to be this guy that get get blown up and that become an inspiration to millions and motivate millions. I'm like, no, you know, you never know what you can do until it happens to you. And then when it does, you know, don't give up, keep fighting, you know, because You have that strength inside of you. You just got to find it. And you're always going to have people that have your back. And if that ever happens to you, I'll be different for for you. Give me a call. I'll I'll talk to you. I probably won't be the most uh, huggy huggy person. I'm going to tell you, hey, man, stop your whining. Get out there and kick some ass. Yeah. Well, thank you. It has been
0: awesome. And thanks for letting me speak with you for a while and for speaking to the audience, the Patriots of the Core listeners. So uh, I'll uh, I'll get with you soon, DT, or I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you a text when it's going to go live if you want to listen to it. And oh, yeah, for sure. That's give the link and all that. All right, so I really love talking to DT. Uh, he's a really good guy. I hope to meet him one day. Uh, if you want to follow him or reach out and you know say anything about how you enjoyed the interview or say anything to him... Um, He's on Twitter at i del toro twenty one. That would be i d e l t o r o two one, and he's on Instagram as well at i d t twenty one. So the letter i d t is Tom twenty one. That's Instagram. So reach out to him and let him know what you thought about the interview or what else he's doing. You can find all kinds of great videos of him online and articles. And also, please, I would just ask that you, if you use Apple Podcast. Or iTunes, as it was formerly called. Please go to the podcast, to the app, and, and rate it. Uh, it's very, very easy to do it from the app. Anyway, uh, you can just find the episode, give me, give us a rating. Preferably, you go away to the right and just do five stars and write a review. But I won't uh, beg too much. Just a review would be wonderful and some feedback. So let me know what you think. And uh, also I've had um, some people reach out to me like uh, Dixie Nelly. Appreciate you reaching out and asking me some questions about different guests. So continue to please do that. And I'll, if I don't have the answers, I will ask those guests to, to give you the answers you're asking. So y'all have a great week. Talk to you later. Bye.